Hello, everybody, and welcome to Worldwide Occult Wrestling. We've got some evil action in store for you this evening. But first, let's check in with a very cool fan favorite, Dry Ice. And it looks like he's making his way to the ring now. Let's see what's on his mind. Mr. Ice, big match coming up Friday, going up against former tag team partner, Fog Machine. So what would you like to say to him? The leather ain't fooling me. The dark shirts ain't fooling me. The black denim ain't fooling me. The black boots ain't fooling me. I know what it's all about, man, okay? Fog Machine, your fake gothic lifestyle. You gotta understand what you've done, sir, okay? I'm gonna strike your ass down with the hammer of God in the middle of that ring come Friday night and show everybody that you're nothing, that you're nothing compared to dry ice. I'm gonna scare the devil out of you, all right? You better start praying to the only God that you know, me. Ooh. Sends a shiver up my spine. You can't see me, you can't touch me, but I'm gonna touch you. I'm gonna stomp a hole in your soul come Friday night, fog machine. Ooh, chilling words from Mr. Dry Ice over here. One more question for you before we go, Mr. Ice. Do you believe in God? I used to, when I was with a tag team partner that meant the world to me. And ever since he left, God is dead. And I got nothing to lose. Try Ice here, and you're listening to Fake Ritual Podcast. And your host tonight, as always, is Lucas Sloppy. Whoop his ass, Dry Ice. Fog Machine's going down. Hello, and welcome to Fake Ritual, the podcast. Your guide to pop culture and the occult. I'm your host, Lucas Sloppy. And in today's episode, I chat with my longtime friend, Caleb Pass, about our favorite supernatural wrestlers and what it is that makes them so compelling. From Kevin Sullivan and the Dungeon of Doom to The Undertaker and his Ministry of Darkness, settle in for a veritable spooktacular as we nerd out toe-to-toe in the squared circle. Now, let's get ready to ritual! Sitting with my longtime friend, a writer, and a wrestling enthusiast, Caleb Pass. Hello, Caleb. Hello, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Enjoying the Saturday. Heck yeah. Uh, so, let's just jump right into it. Uh, sure. When did you start watching wrestling? Um, when I was a kid, obviously. I, I don't have an exact age or anything, but um, I have an older brother who he watched wrestling, he watched a lot of wrestling, so I sort of just would watch with him. But then, um, I mean, I just stuck with it at that point, into like the Hogan Ultimate Warrior era, into okay. the pre-Attitude era, into the Attitude era, into the post-Attitude era. I got into ECW um, during that as well, and yeah, just it, been sticking around. So we had kind of like jumping into wrestling at that time, like the mid-80s kind of gave you like... You know, ECW was there for when you were a teenager, Attitude Era Seriously. for when you were, like, <laughs> pre-adolescent, like... Pretty much, yeah. You know, back in that pure babyface versus heel era, good versus bad, good versus evil. This and is once com- you get into, into the Attitude Era, it becomes a little more anti-hero. Okay. Rebel stuff. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I guess that I never thought of it in such clear-cut terms. Uh, From that standpoint, yeah, you can kind of see it become like there really is no antagonist protagonist. It's just like an anti like who's cooler sort of thing. Yeah, who's cooler? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and growing up too, what kind of uh, like occult characters did you find yourself hmm. gravitating towards? Um, early Undertaker when he debuted. Is it like Survivor Series, like 89 or something? I forget. Um, Raven was always a big guy for me. Raven was, he's, it's, I'm kind of reaching here if you will let me, because he's not like a pure Undertaker, like from the spirit somewhere. Oh, yeah. But he had sort of this like enigma to him that's like, well, I don't know where this guy came from. Um, Raven was, his real name is Scott Levy. He was in WCW for a while as um, Scotty Flamingo. He was just some like sur surfer, like, like oh, California wow. kind of wrestler, oh my God. awful stuff. Yeah, this the, is the, a time too scheme. when people were just obsessed with surfing. Um, so he he did the Scotty Flamingo thing, didn't work. He left. Uh, he went to WWE for a while before he became Raven as Johnny Polo. I think it was just like a rich, you know, the Polo. Yeah, yeah, like, a blazer or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, pretty, pretty classic guy. Even still, is like a go-to. Yeah, it is actually great way to piss off the audience. Is just it is. be some snobby, <laughs> fucking smug, like, know-it-all. Carry briefcase. Um, carry, yeah, briefcase. got some something that that and they always have, they always have some kind of like uh, prop with them that shows how much money they have or something. Like <laughs> yeah. he had like some like polo cane or like whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. Um, but then. He kind of floated around for a minute. I know he was a production assistant for a while, like outside of his character um, okay. with the WWF, WWE. And then he left after a while. And then after he left the WWE, he began to craft this like Raven gimmick. And it was sort of, he would pluck parts from, I know it's big on like Edgar Allan, Edgar Allan Poe, obviously. Okay, he would, yep. He would quote that nonstop when he went to ECW, which we'll get to. That was like his sort of calling card for That's his promos. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it was awesome. It was done like really, you would think it would sound kind of cheesy, but he did a really good job with it. Yeah, and also like, fuck you, mom and dad. Like, wrestling's teaching me the classics. <laughs> yeah, I'm educated now. <laughs> yeah. I like it. And yeah. so he, he did the whole like very grunge looking guy, like the jean shorts. Yeah, what, what um, years is this? This is, let me check. Yeah, 95 to 96 okay. is when this sort of like really kind of come about. Um, but he pitched the idea, I want to say I'm, I, I read that he pitched the idea of this Raven character who was this grunge, mysterious character, um, a heel, a bad guy. Yeah. Um, and had that, again, I said I keep saying grunge, but like he had the plaid shirt tied around his waist. He always wore like a band shirt. Okay. Um, okay, yeah. He would come out when he came, I mean, so he pitched the idea to Jim Cornette, who was running Smoky Mountain Wrestling at the time which was kind of a development wrestling camp for WWE, but it was also its own promotion at the same time. It was its own, you know, style of wrestling and everything. Okay. Um, he loved the idea so much that he told Paul Heyman, who was starting ECW, check this guy out. And then Raven went over to ECW and then started from there. Um, I like the character a lot, I said, because of the... He would give, like, really cool promos, um, just, like, this really mystique, dark character. He was almost like, I mean, obviously I say it's like the Edgar Allan, Edgar Allan Poe thing is, is heavy there. Mm -hmm. But he had this, like, Dracula quality about him um, where he would, he, he would have feuds with other wrestlers in ECW, and he would always somehow bring back some character from his opponent's life that would, like, distract them, like an ex-wife or their son. Okay. And he would, like, control them and be like, they're mine now. And he, they would follow Raven's lead. He had, like, 20 different wrestlers come in and out, like, over the span of, like, four or five years. 
that were under um, his control. Like, they were pretty much him, yeah, like to go out and like beat this guy up and like, you know, so I win the match. And they all worked for him. So it's almost kind of like he's like some, like a crime lord cult leader mm-hmm. in a way. In a way, yeah, cult leader. I couldn't think of that. That makes me think of when I was looking up occult wrestlers, the name Kevin Sullivan kept coming up yeah. as being one of the, like, he kind of uh, did the same gimmick, I guess. Yeah, Kevin Sullivan is, like, I would say, if you want to talk about, like, occult wrestling, he's, like, the OG of occult okay. wrestling Yes, in, like, the 70s. This is back in the territory days when That's it wasn't I... just WCW and WWE. It was like the NWA was one big, you know, National Wrestling Alliance, and there was like a dozen or so different territories throughout the country that had different styles of yeah. wrestling. Yeah, he was in Florida, uh, championship championship wrestling in Florida. But he that was sort of his gimmick was like the sort of devilish uh, character. And I want to say it was this time before he did that gimmick. There, there was a story I'd read where he um, he was brand new, um, green as they say, yeah, outside of wrestling too. But he went down, and he was going to do, a, like, a blade job in one of these matches. and Which, which is, means like yeah. He has to cut his forehead open to God, give the idea that he bled out of his I just head wanna thank, I just want to thank listeners right now for bearing with us. And this is probably yes, one I'm of those so, episodes. I'm sorry. If you're not into wrestling, hopefully you're into weed, and you can just do that and then listen <laughs> to this and just be Take excited for the new lingo but okay he's blading yeah i'll do my best to to explain the treehouse terms okay Um, yes blade job or blading which usually is you have a little piece of knife exacto blade in with you in the match some wrestlers would put it in their fucking mouths and just hide it there and then spit it out and then just hope to god you don't swallow it the more common way was to have it like in your your taped knuckles your wristbands Mm -hmm. hide it in there uh, the referee sometimes has it too. The referee will just keep it on them. Fucking right. I knew he like, was in. I always yeah, every time I watch him, I'm off. like, yeah. He, I don't think he's. I don't think he's a, a real referee. Mm-mm. <laughs> but um, but he had to do a blade job, and if you're new, you don't know how to do it correctly. So the scarier part is one of the other guys has to do it to you in the match, uh. and not the, all those guys are not going to be nice about it. They're not going to be. Again, this is like the 70s and 80s where it was like no quality control in terms of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and you're regional. It's not like you have yeah, no one cares all these eyes guy. on you. Yeah, like, exactly. And this guy's, this new guy's here like, who gives a fuck? Just cut his head open during the match and make sure it's bleeding. So he was getting freaked out during the match, you know, trying to, like, this not is... get too hurt. Kevin Sullivan. Okay, yeah. Um, but I believe during the match, he the guy was had cut his head, and he was getting kind of freaked out because the blood's in his eyes, and, you know, he doesn't know what's yeah. going on. And this is apparently also... a. Uh, when you go back to the territory days, some territories were just, like, nasty. Like, the crowd would hit the ring, would come after you. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just, like, a part of the show. Like, you had to really fight for yourself and defend yourself. And so I guess he got uh, scared, Kevin Sullivan. And I keep saying back in the day, um, a lot of wrestlers would keep, like, brass knuckles, chains, some kind of their own blade in their pants to defend themselves if something bad happened. So as he's freaking out during this match and his head's bleeding, he was like, I have to hit this guy once really hard, his opponent, to kind of like, you know, buy some time and get, get him off mm-hmm. me. And this is like for real. And I guess he had, had a chain or something in his waistband that he took out, and Kevin Sullivan punched this guy as hard as he could in the side of his head to, oh. you know, get him away. And the guy turned to Kevin Sullivan and was like, that's a spirit kid, lay it in there, they love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, oh God, they're going to kill me.
Son, get away from the stove! The real white Bengal tiger approaches! The fate has been set! Hurry! Hurry, my son! My father, I smell his presence also! I feel him! Oh! Oh! oh. Where am I? There's no Hulkamaniacs here. I've never been here before. Ah, it's not hot. What is this place? Sullivan is he's the creator of the Dungeon of Doom in WCW, the legendary Dungeon of Doom. I saw clips of this. It looked hokey yes. as <laughs> all get out. Yeah, because this went up against like Hulkamania, right? Or, yeah, it's, it's its mission was to destroy Hulkamania. That was its sole purpose was to take down Hulk Hogan. Oh um, boy, didn't really work. And Hulkamania itself was always this kind of supernatural yes. notion of like. Yeah. It was like a philosophy, almost, and you were a part of the cult, whether you liked it or not. He just, like, referred to you as, okay, yeah. like, <laughs> you just were a Hulkamaniac. And it, as a kid, like, I remember thinking, like, oh, I'm a part of that, too. Okay. Like, that's... He even had, thinking of his haircut now, it's almost like a monk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a friar. He has this, yes. like, this rim of bleach blonde yeah, hair. Yeah, the horseshoe haircut, yeah. Yeah. When you kind of get into, into different styles of wrestling, a lot of people think that wrestling's like just one, just two guys hitting each other in tights. Um, yeah. There's different styles. There's, like, technical wrestling. There's, like, brawling. There's the big Haas matches. Like there's hardcore flying. matches. High Luchador. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's all kinds of stuff. And that was cool about the territory days where if you went more down south, you had this style. You went towards up north okay. towards New York. You had this style. You went towards Canada, Stampede. Yeah. Territory. You had this style. Um, but Dungeon of Doom, WCW, they were very big on hokey storylines at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, it started out pretty much where Hogan came to WCW. Bit crazy craziness ensued because, you know, the fact that he left WWF was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Sullivan was wrestling with his, um, I don't, have we used the term kayfabe yet? K- yeah, kayfabe's like the, it's, it's the code word that wrestling is fake. So when I say Kevin Sullivan had a brother, had a kayfabe brother named Dave Sullivan, that's not his real brother. Yeah. It's his kayfabe brother yeah. in wrestling. And so it was Kevin Sullivan and Dave Sullivan, who I think was the equalizer, was his other gimmick. Okay. But Dave Sullivan was like the... Uh, Kind of like Lenny Small from Mice and Men, like this sort of childlike. Um, yes. 
like like I like wrestling. I love Hulkamania, and so that's what it turned into. Doesn't know his own strength. Exactly. Um, and Kevin Sullivan became very jealous that his brother loved uh, Hulkamania so much, so it became his mission to destroy oh, right. <laughs> Hulk, Hulkamania. Just it jumped right to that. And he dropped any of that satanic. Yeah, what, there was, yeah, it was more so like just a weird like cave dwelling. That's what I saw. Kind of people. And who is this guy that the the big guy that's like looks like he's made out of clay and he's he's it covered like an asbestos. Yeah, what what's that? <laughs> the master. The master. He so before the the Dungeon of Doom came to be and he wanted to take the Hulkamania down, there was something that Kevin Sullivan did called the Three Faces of Fear, and it was him. It was, um, I forget his, his real life name, but it was, he was Earthquake. He was just him and Typhoon. They're the natural disaster. He's just a big, cool fat guy with like a big beard. Yeah. He came to WCW as Avalanche, so he's still some kind of like natural disaster. So he's not Earthquake, he's Avalanche. He knew what he, yeah, he knew. They knew what they yeah, were doing. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, that's t- and then the third guy was The Butcher, who is Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, okay. Ed Leslie's real name. Um, but then The Butcher became the man with no name at some point. Um, I don't know why or what happened, but so Kevin Sullivan defeats the man with no name, who is Brutus the Barber Beefcake, formerly the Butcher. Oh my! Again, listeners, hit the bong and <laughs> yeah. just just giggle. Yeah, just it take it easy. Yeah, it barely makes sense to us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just pay attention to the last couple sentences of my <laughs> stories, and it's all you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> in between. Um, and so Kevin Sullivan defeats the man with no name. I think it was Slamboree '95. And so during the match, um, after he's done. Kevin Sullivan wins. He hears this like voice, like in the match or something. It's, it makes no sense. And then he kind of like wanders throughout. The, he's, he's on some like spirit journey, and he's like wandering through the crowd. And then for weeks, it was just him. Like there, were, there was like clips of him just running in the woods, like chasing this voice. Didn't Whoa. know where it's coming from. Okay, and he yeah. Finally, finds this cave. He gets into this cave, and there he finds the master. Um, but that's the guy who's made out of clay and covered in spider web and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They really just like were like, how do we, you know, costumes? You, they're yeah. constantly screaming when they're in this cave. They don't just <laughs> yeah. talk. They're like, "Oh my, you gotta say that!" Just like <laughs> screaming the entire time. Um, that's when Kevin Sullivan becomes the Taskmaster. Okay, and that's where he pretty much had his hair like Hulk Hogan, like the horseshoe monk, blonde yeah. hair. He had his gimmick. His tights became the you know trademark yellow and red. Yeah. Um, and then he, but he painted like horns on his head, which I never understood like the symbolism of well, that, but just that he's a bad guy. Well, this is a good way just to kind of talk about like occult characters in general. They they tend to be throwaway because, and it makes sense in a way that at a certain point the audience is kind of tired of this. Okay, we get it. You're a zombie. We get it. You're right. a vampire. You can only do so much with the suspension of belief. That's why I found the Undertaker who his legacy as the dead man he's pretty much one of the most well-known it's the character. gimmick yeah like i am still trying asking myself like how does a character like that resonate and why would that one character last right. like almost 30 years it's i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that like he looks like a dead guy if there was going to be a real life dead guy walking around and doing that shit it would look like Mark Calloway. You're right. A, a six foot ten, like stone faced guy with those scary eyes that like, the, like stared through you. Did I tried my entire adolescence to do the Undertaker eye roll, and I couldn't hide my full iris. <laughs> I could never I don't do it. Know how he hid his entire <laughs> yeah. iris? 
disappears. And like eyes without wide. having like you can pull your eyes down like that and do it. Yeah. Like, no, straight up. And it still pure gives muscle. me. I get chills when I hear that fucking like funeral dirge bell toll. Yeah. Like you know he's coming down the aisle because the lights went low and there yes. it is. That bong. Didn't talk um, for. No. For like year at least as my forever. childhood felt like forever. Like who is this man? Yeah. Had that. Uh, you mentioned earlier Paul Bear as his <laughs> yes. manager. Paul which, Bear. Oh, <laughs> the Undertaker. Big jaw his. <laughs> like, God bless him. But Oh, my God. Rest so, in peace, that guy. Yeah, so the Undertaker is basically this dead man character. That's what he would be called. Mm-hmm. And the Paul Bearer is, like, his, his crony, I guess? His, like, it's, emissary to the living? Yeah. Um, that, and then you have the, his urn. Okay. That, like, I, <gasps> they never said what it was. Oh, but maybe it's supposed to be who the Undertaker was. My theory always was it's the Undertaker's ashes in the urn. And it's like, he's like Whoa. this kind of Frankenstein monster. Yeah, yes. in a sense, it's like, this is, because I loved back when, like, the early stages of the Undertaker, because we'll probably get into this too, there's like 10 different versions of the Undertaker. My favorite is the very first one, like the undead with Paul Bear. He didn't talk at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the the gray gloves and the gray, like, high knee socks, whatever the hell you want to call them. Yeah, he kind of looked um, like a uh, like, uh, dead body, like, up from yeah, the... like someone know. that would have crawled out of a grave with their mm-hmm. clothes would look all tattered like that, in a sense. Yeah. Um, but he, I, I loved the urn as a storytelling tool, because it was... I mean, obviously, when you watch some of the matches, whenever the Undertaker's, like, on the losing end, which is rare during that era, because he was such a, you know, big guy. Yeah, and talking about, um, like, he would just no-sell these moves. Like, no, <laughs> he, he would never get hurt. He'd finally get knocked over, and they'd come, ah, yeah, yeah. they could <laughs> scream their heads off. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he would just sit up in that straight, like, yes. you know, like a zombie. <laughs> Paul Bear's scream with that fucking, ah! <laughs> like outside, it's just awesome. It's I yeah. love that version of the. I still love that version of the Undertaker, and um, I also love whenever he would be like uh, wrestling term jobber, uh, okay. a guy that's just there to lose a match. Yeah, um, I as a kid I didn't know the term for him, but I was always like, who is this? You guy? knew that guy was gonna get this ass kicked from yeah. the song too, because I was like, I've never seen this guy, and he has a first and last name, which well, means he's losing to like <laughs> a lot like the Undertaker's. Uh, obvious influence with like 80s horror movies these jobbers show up and it's just like in some slasher where you're like i've never seen this character <laughs> exactly, before yeah. he's going to die it's just some scene to make that killer look really good to yeah. show like how scary they can be and they they'll, yeah. they'll just fuck them up uh-huh um and i loved in some of those matches where he'd be like just pulverizing somebody in the corner just beating the shit out of them and Paul Bear would come to the apron of the outside of the ring and would hold the urn up, and he would stop and turn, just walk towards the urn. He would stop beating somebody up oh. to, like, to, like, fall in love with the urn. It's, I don't know. I always liked that about the gimmick. I think it was just that they never quite set. A lot of stuff was left to your imagination, which added. Because yes. it, it was scary enough. I think mm-hmm. that's what really kept it being so viable, is that it, scary it was enough. scary enough. And it was also, when you look at someone who's that tall and that big, that guy walked on the ropes, like had crazy agility and could move real fast in the ring. That made it like, there's something to this guy here. There's some magic here. Yeah. Because he's he's doing the gimmick so well, but he can work a fucking match like really well and you believe in it.
I've been sitting all alone in the darkness of my funeral parlor, thinking about mass burials, all the mass burials down through history. I wish I could have been there, but there's one, there's one ahead that I will attend. Oh, yes, 29 bodies, 29 souls, and you, Undertaker, can present them to me one by one. And with each one, you'll get closer and closer to your championship. My sole purpose in this lifeless world is to collect the souls of the unfortunate people that cross me. Coming soon, there will be 29 bodies at my feet, and I'll stand alone at the top. So known for his, uh, well, his buried alive matches. Yes, those were fun. Where you know the loser would be buried alive. Buried alive. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, even as a kid, I think I never understood the buried alive. I was always scared. I was like, they're gonna bury him alive. <laughs> yeah, like, are they gonna come back? Are they gonna die? But then he also crucified people. Yes. And namely Stone Cold Steve Austin, which is a great clip if you can find it, because Stone Cold is being Stone Cold the whole time as soon as he realizes he's strapped to a cra- <laughs> cross. So he's funny. like MF in this and like... <laughs> that head bob he does when he's like yeah. going off. <laughs> yeah, it's it like... like a daisy chain of like like just insults. <laughs> it doesn't even matter what you hear. Yeah. You might hear Stupid one expletive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you were saying that that Raven character that you liked mm. so much as a kid also had a famous crucifixion yes he had a so if anyone is isn't a big wrestling fan um or hasn't watched the ecw documentary the rise and fall of ecw okay uh highly recommended even for non-wrestling fans it's just fun to see how a small little business came to be everyone's kind of just flocked to ecw and it was one of those uh it burned bright and fast and it was gone pretty quick yeah um you know it's 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 an awesome documentary but they talk about this. This there was a uh, wrestler by the name of the Sandman, who his whole gimmick was this kind of the Stone Cold gimmick before Stone Cold, in a sense, but not the bald-headed, trash-talking yeah. redneck part, but the, the beer-drinking, smoking cigarettes, fucking attitude. I'm coming out here just to beat someone's ass and get my paycheck and leave. Oh yeah, and yeah. He would he would literally just wrestle in like pajamas, like oh <laughs> like, wow, like sweatpants and shit. I've seen some local wrestling here in Pittsburgh as well, mm-hmm. and there's still an occasional pajama pant wear and there's always one of them man <laughs> um the zebra striped like, like come on like sweatpants like that's all that's what is that lying around in your your fucking apartment somewhere like you walked past people coming to the <laughs> ring and they said sure yeah uh this work yeah okay uh you can go out there but he um said that sandman so sandman would come out and he was the guy he would come <gasps> Wait, out to enter sandman sandman oh <gasps> Never mind. I take back everything I said. Sandman, he puts you to sleep, so he should wear pajama pants. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, wow. See? like, Well done. <laughs> Excellent work. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, yeah. He'd come to the ring, and he would, like, he, would drink, he would, like, chug a beer, and then, like, smash the beer can over his forehead. He'd be, he would bleed before the match started. Oh, yeah. So it was just, like, this, like, come get me kind of guy. Another ECW trademark. Ex- seriously, hard and fast, man. Yeah. And um, so 
Raven, they had a bit of a feud going on. Raven beat him uh, for the title, and he was the, Raven was the heavyweight ECW champ for a while, for, for a couple of years, I want to say, too. Um, but ECW had a fan base that knew a lot about the wrestlers' personal lives, which helped with selling, telling stories in the ring. Okay. And so everyone knew, I want to say, I might get this wrong, so forgive me, all you ECW fans are the most, like, like I'm going to correct you kind of people. Well, I mean, anything to just fill my email account. So please, hate mail, all you there ECW fans. Um, I want to say that people knew that they were that he was divorced from his wife, um, the Sandman. Okay, and, IRL, in real life. Yes, yeah, in real life, yeah, yeah non-kayfabe yes. uh, kind of thing. So they... Uh, so Raven and him are having this feud. Raven starts cutting promos, talking about Sandman, doing his quote, the Raven nevermore kind of thing. Yeah. And there is a part where uh, Scott Levy as Raven, get the quote here. Um, ah, he, he's given a promo and um, Raven also was, would do a lot of like, a lot of promos were always, this Friday night, I'm going to beat your ass. You and me, Lucas Sloppy, we're going to settle this once and for all. You got to go. And they, that's like what it was. There was never like, I'm going to kill you, you know, this sort of thing. But Raven would do these weird, like artsy, you know, very wordy promos, very philosoph you know, philosophy filled kind of things. Okay. And so at the end of this one promo, he's kind of walking around this like uh, playground for kids, like talking about, you know, da da da. And he goes, the mind that controls the children is the mind that rules the future. And I am their salvation. And the camera turns, and it's Sandman's son, who's like eight years old. <laughs> and he's wearing Raven's outfit. He has the leather jacket and the Ramones shirt and the plaid shirt tied yeah. around his waist. And he goes, quote, the Raven nevermore. And does Raven's Jesus Christ pose, which he would hold his hands out and lift his head back. Okay, yeah. And so it was like, oh, no, he got his kid now. Like, he's Whoa. possessed his kid. And he would just use it against him. And he and everyone kind of knew, like, Sandman kind of had this, like, alcoholic thing going on where he had you know, personal problems. Um, there's a part where uh, they're fighting in the ring and uh, Sandman's kid comes out and he gets in the mic. And he was just like, Daddy, you're drunk. I worship Raven now. <laughs> just, you hear some guy in the, in the crowd go, oh! Like, <laughs> like, and it's like, holy shit! Um they couldn't believe it. So then, it's just, I think this is October 1996. And so um, this is the best part about this story, if you watch the ECW documentary, Kurt Angle, who you know is a wrestler, yes, and, and an Olympic a wrestler. Pittsburgh native yeah, as well. That's, yeah, that's, that's I, right. Yeah. I high-fived um, his hand at uh, Little you? Italy days. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, I always forget that he's from, like, Moon, Moon Township, yeah. which is, like, kind of near me. Just um, Pittsburgh in general is such just, a... I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, Twenty minute drive and everything. What do we got? Oh, George yeah. the Animal Steel. Uh, Bruno uh, San Martino. Bruno San Martino. I mean, yeah. legend. Mick uh, Foley trained Mick in Foley. Freedom, which is next to my hometown of Rochester, That's Pennsylvania. Right. Like, uh, so Kurt Angle was at this this ECW um, house show. Okay. And Paul Heyman got a hold of him because Kurt was trying to get into the wrestling business. So Paul Heyman was like, okay, come check out ECW, which would have been a huge score for ECW because like – how popular is Kurt Angle as a, as a professional wrestler, let alone an Olympic wrestler. And give it that uh, legitimacy that exactly. it kind that of always sort of, lacked. Oomph. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, that's why they brought in like MMA guys after all, like Ken Shamrock and Dan Severin yeah, just to add that realism to it. Because this is sort of like post people knew about like kayfabe. Mm -hmm. so exactly. They tried um, to push the violence, it seemed. And whatever you could do. Like you're saying with this Raven story, Raven Sandman kind of uh, blur the lines. Like, wait, is that his real kid? Wait, right? Because when he you watch, doing something like, wrong, is he actually mad? Is he a bad dad? Like exactly, yeah. Because yeah, because like, how can you when you have an eight year old kid cutting a promo on a mic? Like 
you kind of want to believe them. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what's going on. You, um, I've seen people that aren't fans watch it live, like go to an event, and they leave fans. Like, there's, it's intoxicating, this sort oh, of... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's staged. It's like a mass hypnosis. But you know who to root for. Like, you, you get into it so quick, and it becomes like, who cares if it's... Like the suspension of disbelief. You get sucked into it, yeah. Like you yeah. root for people, and it's sort of you want to be the guy in the ring. You want to hang out with that guy in the mm-hmm. ring. You know, you have a connection that you feel to them. And um, and in this case, it was so real. People are like, "Holy shit!" So in October, Kurt Angle comes to this house show, and Paul Heyman, the uh, promoter and booker of ECW, was like, "I'm gonna invite you to watch a show, see what you like, and we can sign you." He goes, "Okay." So the Sandman and Raven are gonna have one of their fights again. And when the Sandman comes out, his son comes out first. There's no Raven. And he's wearing the Sandman's look. He has, like, little zebra-striped pajama Aww. pants on. And, like, this little... It's very cute. Yeah. And his, his, his dad has this big, like, Singapore kendo stick, you know, cane yeah. kind of thing. And his beer, and he drops it. And he falls to his knees, and he hugs his kid. And he's like, oh, my God, like, I'm so... Like, thank you so much. Like, you're with me again. And all of a sudden, you can see a couple of guys in the back start pointing. You see someone running in, be like, oh, yeah, it's fucking Raven coming in. <laughs> so Raven rolls right in, grabs the kendo stick, and he canes the ever-loving fuck out of Sandman's forehead. <laughs> and with his kid just standing there, just, like, looking at this whole I thing. I thought you happened. were going to say the kid. I was like, oh, no, ECW. I wouldn't pass it through by ECW. Yeah, I'm sure really. Paul Heyman wanted to do that one. Yeah. Um, there's a funny, before I get, there's a funny interview with Sandman before they used um, his own son for this whole thing. Paul Heyman told Sandman, he was like, I might try to get Macaulay Culkin to do this, dude. Like, I get, and Sam was like, what the fuck? You ain't getting no Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. I got my own son. He's my fucking own son. Yeah, in like late 80s, or yeah, early 90s, yeah, like, the like, biggest like, name. Fresh out of Home Alone and, yeah. and the good son. Yeah, we're gonna get fucking Macaulay Culkin for, what, 100 bucks a night? <laughs> like, you ain't, you ain't a little more than that. So, um, they have their match. It's a good match. Um, if you like wrestling, uh, Raven did a, his version of Apollo Driver was awesome. There's different like versions of Apollo okay. Driver, the move. Yeah. Look it up if no one knows what that looks like. It's kind of hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, you were just driving someone's head into the mat. But a lot of guys do like, you know, a tombstone Apollo Driver like The Undertaker. Yes. Or like a sit-down Apollo Driver or a spinning Apollo Driver. Mick Foley and Raven had a very similar Apollo Driver. I noticed this when I was doing our research. Um, he would almost grab them by like their belt loops or like their tights and kind of yank, like slowly pull them yeah. over and then sit down real quick in this like snapping motion. So it, it just something about it looked like almost like a bar fight. It wasn't like yeah. a wrestling match where yeah. it was more that. And that's what I was like about certain styles of wrestling. There's that spontaneity of the, your, your technical timing. It looks mm-hmm. real. So um, he legit power drives Sandman through a table that is resting between the ring and the guardrail. So they just fall like six feet onto like a concrete floor uh-huh. after he po- like he like just fucking knocks him out then he brings out this big crucifix and pretty much crucifies sandman in the ring like he ties his his hands to the, yeah. to the cross he ties his feet to the cross he gets a bunch of barbed wire and puts the barbed wire um halo on him the crown of thorns Damn, kind of thing yeah and it's it's like it's sloppy but it's sloppy in the sense that it's like, oh, like this looks, and it's the, one of the only times you never hear a rowdy New Jersey Philly crowd from ECW that it was totally quiet. No one oh. said a word. It was just like, uh, and I love the guys that, that was in Raven's Nest, his his uh, his, his crew, you know, his stable. Yeah, 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 exactly. His his buddies. 
his gang, um, they were interviewed, like, in the documentary as well, being like, oh, man, this is fucked up. This is fucked up, dude. <laughs> like, as they're tying Sandman's hands to the crucifix, and no one did that then, exactly. in a sense. You didn't exactly. see that in wrestling. It looked like someone trying to, as a crazy person, I just want, I just beat you in a bar fight. I'm going to crucify you in this fucking bar room now. Like, yeah. to humiliate you. I'm going to humiliate you and embarrass you and show you that I control your ex-wife and I control your son and fuck you, I'm better than you. It, it was a really heavy moment. Um, Kurt Angle went and found, he left like in the middle of that and found Paul Heyman and was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> if I see my face or my name anywhere in that goddamn promotion or that ring, I'm suing you. I will take my check right now. And Paul Heyman claimed that he didn't know they were going to do that because that was the whole yeah right ECW. Yeah, I was like, he kind of knew, but he did give his wrestlers, you know, a lot of, you don't, you don't have to check with me about it, just go ahead and do it. And so it was the only time he made Raven go back out and apologize and break kayfabe and go back out and oh. say that he was sorry for what he did. Jesus, God's um, cool. Jesus is yeah, all right. <laughs> he was like, I'm sorry. I forget the phrase. He's like, my religious, like, iconography or iconography. I can't pronounce the word right right now. And then kind of, you can tell he didn't want to do it. The promoters, other wrestlers come out. The police come out to untie Sandman because he's still stuck there, like, uh -huh. <laughs> on this cross. He, they must have tied the knots so tight. They could not get him off. So they had to literally carry him off the cross, like on the cross, like out of the fucking arena. And you oh, go, oh! Like, yeah, <laughs> like you, you can't and write it was, that. No, it, it was, it, for what it looked like, it was pretty intense. And um, just a, one of my favorite sort of like religious-esque storylines in wrestling. That, which also makes me laugh because Kurt Angle was like, you know, I'm not putting up with that. And then he goes and signs with WWE who's burning crosses with The Undertaker. Like, <laughs> yeah. how is yeah. that any better? <laughs> My earliest memories are not of anything specific. They're more like memories of feelings as opposed to events. Feelings of abandonment, feelings of loneliness, feelings of sadness. They say our destiny is formed in these earliest moments. That our fate is determined at this critical juncture. The chosen begin their path towards greatness. The ill-fated are doomed from the beginning. The unfortunate devour themselves, searching for annihilation. You see, we're all prisoners of our own nature. Locked into certain patterns of behavior. I could no sooner change the path that I've been placed upon than I could stop a swallow from migrating or a salmon from spawning. So it is written, so it shall come to pass. Quote the raven, nevermore. Talking about all this religious iconography. Uh, That's the word. Yes. <laughs> that I can't say. The It finally dawned on me, The Undertaker had a kayfabe brother by the name of Cain, <laughs> a la 
Cain and Abel. Mm. And it, it had a similar story as well. I, I got a kick out of this as a kid because it felt <laughs> so real to me. Cain was a, the brother that almost died in a fire the Undertaker set to kill yes. their parents. <laughs> <laughs> and it was also implied that he was like Paul Bear's like son. Oh, I didn't like, even know like, that. Yeah, <laughs> like I could see size. that. Uh, they called him the Big Red Monster, which I really yeah. liked, or the de- the devil's favorite demon. This kind of even elaborates more on like this supernatural stuff that the Undertaker just was allowed to get away with. I found yes. out it seems the Undertaker controls lightning while yeah, Kane f- controls fire. Yes. <laughs> and you, we talked about Kurt Angle. You've seen that clip of, and it was later in Undertaker's career, when he comes out to a Kurt Angle celebrating in the ring and the Undertaker just stands <gasps> there until he calls down like four bolts of lightning to, <laughs> to completely like the, the, the ring drops and yeah. the turnbuckles fall. <laughs> And it's just like met with cheers. Which, it's one of those things that only he's allowed to get away with. Yeah, and even Kane kind of kept that going with he his could like do it too. calling up fire in the ring. And yeah. didn't he talk with one of those like voice oh, things right. for a while? Yeah. <laughs> like the uh, but yeah, just anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> and also similarly, they did kind of have for being brothers. They did also have just as characters like similarities, and I'm yeah. speaking mostly of their shitty like turns away from the supernatural to what for the undertaker was eventually oh. called biker taker yeah which was him as this american <laughs> badass like uh, chopper riding yeah, yeah uh, it, it makes bandana where your sigh says it all because it was not popular no. not good and then no. i guess kane did the same before he's now a mayor but he was corporate yeah, knoxville kane. Yes, I He's always forget about the cane. corporate cane. Uh, made it all the better whenever The Undertaker did come back as the dead man. That was, I mean, I remember, because it was for a while, too. Um, like, I didn't watch wrestling for a while. Yes, like, same. it was one of those things. It was I just stopped. Um, I think it was after kind of ECW sort of wrapped up. And I, I just had loved ECW so much where I was like, it's hard to go back to this other kind of... And also, the Attitude Era, once, like... Stone Cold kind of like started going away and you got more of these like it was kid centric with John yes, Cena type characters. once it was like and... I'm going to have a real, real quick hot take before we go any further. Oh, uh, yeah. I think Triple H is like the most boring wrestler ever. Yeah, they really focused H. on him. He became like the the face of like the Attitude Era after like Shawn Michaels was out. Face and... with a big old nose too. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, and he I just find him really water. Boring. Spit, he spit water. water. It was like so what? And it, the, I have a sledgehammer. The Undertaker called lightning down mm-hmm. amidst <laughs> dry ice out the wazoo. Yeah. Their dry ice budget he had casted to be lightning spell plus but, seven. Yeah, buried people alive. He yeah. tried to kill his parents in a fire, which yeah, d- yeah. deformed his brother. And then yeah, fucking Triple H is spitting water spitting water and he would hold the water bottle it wasn't even like he came out and was like whoa yeah. he just yeah like, like spit. what was that yeah no it was, it was like, oh you can't drink enough drink like why don't you just drink it some deer a match yeah for the next <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. he had that sledgehammer where was, i'm sorry if you have a sledgehammer and you're gonna bring it to a ring swing it like a fucking baseball bat yeah please stop this like i'm gonna like nudge you Tap with the, the head of it yep I just don't bring now. it out at all just yeah. bring a gun out if you're gonna have a fucking sledgehammer 
That's like, yeah, if the if the Undertaker was just static <laughs> shocking people. Yes, yeah, like what? what? Talking this, uh, you know, kayfabe families, I wanted to bring mm-hmm. it up to what I discovered. I It was a few years ago. I went to a Royal Rumble and discovered this character who has gone through a transformation recently, but Bray Wyatt. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, and at the time, he was the leader of the Wyatt family. This yes. cult of, like, backwoods... Yeah, uh, raised by what they would call Sister Abigail, this reference to some yes. sort of like witch that they found in the woods. Yes. Uh, very, at the time, like I immediately thought of The Undertaker. I hadn't watched mm-hmm. wrestling in a while and was just like, this is like far out. This is really asking a lot of the audience, but it's really well done. It's kind of rooted in... A degree of uh, reality. One of my biggest things I don't like that I believe in as far as like scary stuff goes. Yes, is I I hate like backwoods like deliverance things because that to me is real. Like there's just some guys hanging out in the woods in like a shack somewhere. You mean you hate it like it scares you? Yeah, 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 exactly in that sense. Not that I hate like I don't believe in it. It actually scares me. Like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, or like like a True Detective, like the first season where it's just some dude in the woods. Especially like that's real. You and I are both like you know from the suburbs, so right. Like the idea of like deep country. My city stuck an ass getting eaten up. Oh no. Yeah, this. Bray Wyatt, he eventually transitioned into what he is now, which he's called The Fiend. He took a year off, I think in 2018, and came up with this idea. He came back, really clean cut look, and the Bray Wyatt character was kind Mm -hmm. of, uh, he would dress like uh, Robert De Niro from Cape Fear. He had like a Hawaiian shirt on, really long, stringy hair, a long beard. His his finisher was like this crab walk. He would like... Convulse oh, yeah. in the corner and then yeah. pop up like an on exorcist his... spider walk. Yes, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, but he came back. He's all clean cut and he's hosting this children's program uh, yes. that they called Firefly Funhouse with these little puppets. One's like a witch, another one <laughs> like kind of uh, Mr. Rogers meets Pee Wee's Playhouse. I was say exactly that. Yeah, but he keeps referring to this entity called the Fiend. Like it's like mm. this. Uh, like it keeps these faces appear, like it's this really sort of like split right. personality thing he's playing with. But I also learned that he had hidden messages in his Bray Wyatt character because he would oh. give these speeches. Like I've heard it refo- referred to as the, his eight secret messages that were kind of like nonsensical at the time. Okay, I'm not uh, aware of this. Each one had a, wor- a phrase in it that, when strung together, predicted the fiend. Oh, all he right. had it. It's just this forethought that actually shows that this isn't just like let's do some edgy, like right. creepy character. Cool it's <laughs> yeah. it's more like whoa, this guy's like pretty smart and pretty crafty. What it ends up being these secret messages, they amount to what makes you smile. I know you're listening. Let me in. We don't belong here. What happened to you was such a tragedy. Limbo is no place for a soul like yours. I believe I found the answer. The angel with the burnt wings is waving you on home. Oh, I like that. Like, which are, <coughs> like, uh, and let me in being, like, the uh, the phrase, the catchphrase of the fiend. Which yes, in itself yeah. is horrifying. And yes. another Pittsburgh reference, the, his intro song features Code Orange of Pittsburgh oh, fame. Okay. They, they helped 
another satanic character, Alistair Black, do his promo. Okay. Oh, that's they, right. They cut his Let Me In song for the Fiend. I didn't know they had that with Bray Wyatt stuff. Okay. Yeah, I learned that and was just like, Holy oh, shit. cool. I'm not the biggest Code Orange fan, but I'm a big Pittsburgh right. fan. So I'm like, hats off to that. And I understood what she meant. Her touch could save the world. But her kiss burns it to the ground. I love you, Sister Abigail. I just was really impressed knowing that he had this this forethought because again these occult characters are too often just like lampoons they're like that's the hardest part characters like gangrel of yeah. the brood a <laughs> vampire type character uh living a goth lifestyle as i always yes heard it the, they always reminded me of like interview with a vampire vampire yes well it they actually was like, a, like sexy with the long hair and do you know the pc game Mas- vampire the masquerade uh it I was don't. a pc rpg game that was about oh, okay. sexy vampires like, oh wait no i've seen yes, this you definitely have heard it, of it it's they're gonna remaster it i think like mm-hmm. later on or something yep, that's okay, what yep. they were referencing oh with these characters. okay wow i had no idea no mic skills. Like, no, that that killed them. That c- killed them. Because they were thinking, cool. They had. They were cool. Like the, and, their their intro was cool. This kind of like yeah. techno. Like yeah, it was like a up, cyberish punk vampire. Yeah, they like raised. They came out of the floor, surrounded by a ring of fire, yeah. and like, like a goblet with his blood. That, uh-huh. that he would. This makes more sense when you want to spit something out, like Triple H does. Yes. Don't do water. Do blood from a creepy looking vampire cup. Yeah, and have real fangs like yeah. the man yeah, that played yeah. Gangrel does. Those were legit. Yeah, which I them. people want to talk shit, but anybody that has real fangs, I think it's pretty cool. Fucking badass. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I don't care how like dorky you are; it makes you cool. But yeah, I mean, there's just so many different characters. It sucks, but they're like throwaway kind of gimmicks. They're, yeah, they're only around for like six months. You know, the only couple of matches with these kind of guys, unless you are The Undertaker, you know, or Kane. Yeah, which I'm happy to see with Bray Wyatt that they are, he's reinvigorating that, and I hope, because there's room for it. I mean, I I hate the idea that, like, this, like, 
what kayf- what is kayfabe for if not to allow for like an alternate reality like these weird right. storylines that aren't based on like that guy could exist it's like no i want a dead man right yeah i like having actual like competitiveness and a goal to reach i like having good and bad guys but if we can have as long as we have good and bad guys you can make a bad guy like an undertaker at least have some kind of it doesn't need to be like a full blown you know like you don't have to show me flying him to come, the ring. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You, you don't have to show me him coming out of a grave. Exactly. I, don't, I don't need to see him coming out to the ring like that. There's the audience storytelling to be done. Yeah, yeah, there is psychology to wrestling. As much as everyone wants to make fun of it, not make fun, but kind of water it down to the point of, oh, it's just it's just goofiness. It's supposed to be fake. It's not supposed to be fake. It's supposed to be believable, or it's supposed to have a good story, or well written, or have psychology to it. Yeah, um, it's a it's an opera. That's important to me. Yeah, it's a drama. It's always a drama. Yes, like, first and foremost. It's, it's, it's all about how someone reacts to the scenario. It's not about the person themselves. It's about how they react when they're in certain situations with things. Well, yeah, I do. I want to thank you for being on again. Uh, it was thank really fun. On. No, it was great, man, given the whole being locked up inside and everything. Yeah. Uh, this, this was a great Saturday night. Uh, to talk about some wrestling. I love wrestling. You know this. Yes, and I love it more now after learning just yeah that. oh there's so much to dig into um there's always something hell yeah uh well you got anything you want to let the listeners know and uh let them know where they can find you i i wrote a book i wrote a, a memoir a short story memoir a couple of years ago called don't get me started uh you can find that on amazon um it's it has a little wrestler on the it, cover. it has a little looking it's not the ultimate warrior uh, so I get sued. Um, it looked because when I got the, the the copy of the book, the front cover originally had the warrior paint on it. And uh, if you know anything about wrestling backstage stuff, he will sue you into oblivion, yes, probably yeah. from the grave because he's dead. <laughs> um, yeah. So I made sure to tell the person take the face paint off so it looks like just some guy with long hair Good wearing wrestling tights. Um, that was fine. But uh, you can find it's Don't Get Me Started uh, on Amazon. You can get it on there. It's a bunch of short stories. Uh, one of them is a chapter on my backyard wrestling league when I was growing up with my friends. We had our little JBW, John's Backyard Wrestling. Um, <laughs> I was television champion for quite a while. I was a tag team Ooh. champ. Ooh, okay, <laughs> so, yeah. You might um, They might have heard of you. All right, see? <laughs> we got a couple of best of DVDs that are out of print. It's a good luck finding them. <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> but I've also, uh, I, I told you about it as well, and there's nowhere to find it at the time, so I'll plug my Instagram at the end of this little bit here. But uh, I was working on some video essays about three years ago um, on wrestling gimmicks and sort of character studies of certain wrestlers or events that I just found really interesting. Okay. And one of them was on Rick Rude, the Ravishing Rick Rude. One of like my favorite heels of all time. Um, got one on Brian Pillman that I mentioned earlier this episode for a brief moment. Uh, another guy that kind of just got sucked into his own gimmick uh, yeah. and couldn't sort of, you know, a lot of guys you probably read about if you get into wrestling, kind of they they have this gimmick and they live the gimmick for so long they kind of forget who their own like ego was. Yeah. Lose track of that. Yeah. Um, I did one on, on the. I, I, there's three episodes. Oh, that one. The other one's the Brawl for All. That I did as well. Um, so I haven't found a place to host these videos yet because they get taken down by WWE almost instantly yeah. due to the footage that I use. Yeah, it's they're like hawks, and I try to put them on YouTube. I try everything. So um, I, although I'm doing something right now, so I may have a place to host them up. I I can't say where yet because I'm not too sure. But you can check me out on Instagram at Packing Heat. Um, P A C K I N G H E A T. I don't own a gun, uh, but. <laughs> 
Packing always, heat is not. Packing heat. <laughs> I don't own a gun. Word. Uh, well, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Fake Ritual and on Twitter at Fake Ritual Blog. Uh, thanks for listening, and thank you, Caleb, for being on and uh, telling people what the crucifixion is really about. Talking wrestling. Talking wrestling. All right. Goodbye, folks. Bye. We wanted to dedicate this episode to probably the most beloved WWE announcer, Mr. Howard Finkel. Here he is, declaring an Undertaker victory in his very iconic voice. Rest in peace, Fink.